Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 28th of May 2023, 11 o'clock service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, Learning from the Early Church, The Coming of the Holy Spirit. So as we now know, today is Pentecost. Happy birthday to the church. Uh, why do we say that? Why do we describe it as the church's birthday? Um, does anyone know what Pentecost means? It's weird, isn't it? We never actually bothered to kind of look it up, really. Well, Pentecost, as I understand it, if, unless the internet has lied to me, uh, means 50th. And it's the 50th day after Easter Sunday. And it celebrates the birth... I can see you working it out now, going, one, two, three, seven... Yeah, he's right, yeah. Um, Pentecost, it celebrates the birth of the church by the Holy Spirit. It's the climax, you could almost say, of the liturgical year. Because finally, we can tell the whole story of God's redemption, of creation. We've gone through Christmas, we've gone through Easter, we get to Pentecost. We don't describe it as the birthday of the church because, you know, the description of the coming of the Holy Spirit reminds us maybe of birthday candles on the disciples' heads. Um, I always thought, no, what if it really was like that? What if it kind of got a bit more out of control, like, you know, this next picture suggests, um, that really kind of is, uh, yeah birthday getting a bit out of hand but no it's not to do with that it's called the church's birthday because pentecost is when the apostles went out among the people and began spreading jesus's message and thus establishing the beginning of the church in this series of learning from the early church it's this moment i feel when the promised holy spirit arrives that we see the change it made to the apostles. And we see firsthand how God's spirit worked through them and through the fellowship, power, witness and prayer of the early church, empowering these people in ways they didn't know they could. Ten days earlier, Jesus had promised his disciples that they would receive power through the Holy Spirit. And it would enable them to share the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection throughout the world. What an awesome event that would be. Awesome news to receive. And then Jesus promptly leaves them. Not so awesome if you're a disciple. Confused, alone, scared. The apostles are gathered together all in one place, wondering what's going to be happening next. No doubt praying about it. And then something incredible happens. We hear this account of a sound like a blowing wind and this scene of what appears to be tongues of fire resting on each one's head. And suddenly they're all speaking in different tongues, all enabled by the power of the Spirit. And it's quite an incredible vision. And at that moment, this group of people are changed. Instead of needing to focus inwards, protecting themselves from external threats, trying to be a close-knit group, fearful perhaps of outsiders, they turn outwards instead, moving in an outwardly direction. The commotion that's been coming from inside the house they're staying at draws people towards them. And you can by now imagine that some of these people inside the house are starting to spill out into the street. 
and more and more people hear this commotion and wonder what's been going on in there. They think, are they having some sort of crazy party or something? And it's at that moment, Peter gets up to speak. It's quite a dramatic moment when it happens. So I thought, for added extra dramatic effects, I'll come down here. I prefer speaking to you down here anyway. But Peter gets up in the midst of this crowd, and he thinks, what's he going to do? Something's changed in Peter. You know, this was Peter, who not too long ago was too afraid to speak up on the night that Jesus was arrested. And yet suddenly he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to deliver what is quite an incredible, powerful speech. And I deliberately didn't want to put it up on the reading. I thought we'd look at it now and really share in those words. And because it's what's in this speech that he delivers and the impact it has that I think teaches us so much about the importance of the coming of the Holy Spirit to both the early church and ourselves today. And what does Peter do amongst all these people wanting to know why on earth they're talking? What's this amazing thing? He quotes from the book of Joel. He says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. One awesome vision that is. What amazing news to hear. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. That doesn't sound quite so awesome if you're listening to that going, what on earth? And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, it's both inspiring and terrifying at the same time. How on earth was that meant to explain to the people there what was going on? You know, if I was there, I'd be even more convinced that they've been having some sort of you know, party. Like They're really partying hard if they're coming out with that stuff. It's strong, apocalyptic almost, language but it is necessary to understand the significance of what is a new creation at the day of Pentecost. Um, the whole book of Joel, leading up to the verses Peter quotes, is quite scary and depressing. You know, if you're ever trying to sort of read a scary ghost story to a grandchild or somebody, don't worry about sort of anything you read in Penguin books, just read them from the book of Joel. Um, it's only a book of three chapters, and yet it's so enough in there to make you feel really quite uneasy. What Joel was doing when he was writing and prophesying was bringing the word of God to the people of the southern kingdom of Judah centuries earlier. And this was some time after the death of King Solomon. And the people of uh, Israel were struggling to be faithful to God. And so he sent prophets to call the people to return to him, to repent and give hope to those who would turn back to God. It's just that he did it in often quite terrifying words. 
just to give you an idea of um, this, from Joel chapter 1, Joel warns about a terrible event that will occur if the people continue the way that they are behaving, the likes of which had never been experienced by those alive at the time. What was it? An invasion of locusts that devours everything. He says this, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other, then there seem to be other locusts still, have also eaten. Now, that might sound slightly tame in comparison to many of the natural disasters that we know now. You know, thinking God will send a flood to wipe things out, an earthquake. But actually, have you ever seen a swarm of locusts? Just type in the words, locust swarm planet Earth into YouTube, and it will bring you straight away to a video showing a terrifying footage of a billion locusts flying through the air on a constant search for food. An adult locust can eat its entire body weight every day. It's not picky. It will devour everything, whatever vegetation it comes across, and then it just moves on leaving nothing but bare stems and branches. And if a swarm of locusts was going to destroy every crop in Judah, it really would mean devastation. There's nothing to eat. And no crops or vegetation means there's nothing to sell. And you can't buy food either. There's nothing left for livestock to eat. So they die. The economy is dead. Society, dead. The lack of food would start to lead to starvation, which often means civil unrest and famine and fighting over resources and war between people and nations and death. When we think about it, it is a truly harrowing vision of what was to come. And the rest of Joel continues like this until we get later on to chapter 2, where Joel calls on the people to repent Perhaps, just maybe, avoid this impending disaster. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. There is this glimmer of hope because God is moved when we turn our hearts to him. And yet even before we could do that, God was already moving in a far greater way. Hundreds of years later, after those words that Joel spoke to the people, we get to this incredible, moving, inspiring scene of the disciples and followers of Jesus returning to Jerusalem after he had left them, and gathering together in a, in a house where they would have joined together in constant prayer, men, women, all joining together in prayer, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the promise of a helper. They'd experienced sorrow at Jesus' death, joy at his resurrection, and then probably sorrow, confusion, and unease after he'd gone again. But there was a glimmer of hope, the promise that he would send them a helper. 
And when the promised spirit came, Peter was moved to speak to everyone he could and with a sense of urgency share the good news of God's redemption of mankind because Peter knew at that moment that the next stage in God's plan of salvation had come. And he proceeds to tell all the people there about the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and how he had to die for our sins. And the response from the people there listening is nothing short of incredible. It says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people were baptised. But most importantly, 3,000 people repented of their sins. I think that's one of the most important things to know about Pentecost. It's not just about this incredible display of charismatic and wonder of the Holy Spirit coming, people speaking in tongues and doing miraculous signs. The Holy Spirit isn't just some warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you're really engaged in worship. No, it's something that convicts us all. It is God saying, I know what's on your heart, and I know you need forgiveness. If we want to be effective witnesses for God, just as Peter was, we need to be like those same people, hearing the message of God's salvation for the first time and get ourselves right with God, seeking his forgiveness before we can be effective for him. The Holy Spirit is what we describe as the third person of the Trinity, equal in majesty and power to God the Father and God the Son. And the Spirit is the means of love between the Father, the Son and us here on earth. And Jesus sends us the Spirit to remind us of what he taught us whilst here on earth. Moved by the Spirit, we can change the face of this earth. When we ask for the Holy Spirit, we receive the gifts of the Spirit. Wisdom, understanding, right judgment, courage, knowledge, reverence and fear of the Lord, which work in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Complete the list for me. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We got there in the end. Great. We only did this a few months ago. I'm sure that's why you forgot it. No, that is what is promised for us. Because once we're forgiven our sins 
and committed to his service, then we too can be transformed like those fearful apostles into courageous witnesses for Christ. They received the gift to preach the gospel in all languages. And on that day, 3,000 people were baptized and converted. From those humble beginnings, the church of Christ spread to every land. And that's why we consider Pentecost to be the birthday of the church. And ever since, the Holy Spirit has guided and strengthened the church and still continues to do so today. It's about repentance, but it's also about mission. That fiery spirit that filled Peter was the same one that had rested on Jesus at his baptism. And no longer were this group of people, disciples of Jesus, who simply knew the facts about his life story. Rather, to be a disciple of Jesus meant that there and our lives must literally be taken up into what you could call the drama of God's redemption of his creation. A new age had come, which we are all made part of God's new time through the life and work of his son, Jesus. Peter recites the description of those wondrous last days, spoken of by God through the prophet Joel, and he recognizes them as something in the here and now, a time that still continues in which we build God's kingdom here on earth. At Pentecost, it felt like God created a new language of love, a language more than just words. Instead, it's a community whose memory of its saviour creates the miracle of being a people whose very differences contribute to this unity, each and every one of us. And we call this creation church. And being church means changing the world, not by just going to church, but by being church. The mighty rushing wind that gave birth to the church created a, a new nation, one that can't be limited by the constraints of the past because salvation is unlimited. Salvation is God's creation of a new society, a new church that invites each person, each and every one of us, to become part of a time that nations can't provide. Nothing can limit the love of God and his salvation. His spirit, his gift to the church is given to us all. The Holy Spirit is very much alive and active in our world today. The spirit changes the world, bringing new life into the world and gifts many the gifts of prophecy, of healing, of prayer, of teaching, of so many other forms of ministry. And it reminds the church, all of us, of our mission. Calling people into service, sending them where necessary with the gifts to do it. And the Spirit will work in our daily lives too. It makes us receptive to God, teaching us to pray and helping us to be there for others. St. Augustine describes the Holy Spirit as the quiet guest of the soul. And so in order to 
sense God's presence, we also need to make time in our lives to be still, to let the noise and the busyness just go, to quieten our lives and let God's Spirit in. The more receptive we are to the Spirit within us, the more it becomes the master of our life. And so we're going to do that now. Spend a bit of time in prayer, praying for God's Holy Spirit to come and fill our lives. And yet because it's the day of Pentecost and things are slightly different, we're going to do the prayer slightly different as well. And so if you're able to, I'd like to invite you to stand just as we spend some time, a short time, praying in the Spirit and particularly praying for those features of the Spirit that we'll be thinking about over the next four weeks. So let's stand and pray and ask God for his Holy Spirit.